Attention students, the Jabroni University Network is now in session. Please make your way to class. Feels feels right. Yes, because you didn't want to get off the fucking couch. Yeah, I don't want to do shit today. <laughs> You're lucky because we're only recording an intro. I thought about getting on the bike, and then I was like, mm. I did. I know I you rode did. A hard ride this yeah, morning. Yeah, and I was like all for it when I got up this morning, but then I was like, mm. No, you've had that faraway look in your eye all day. Yeah, from like the time you walked out I of the bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> I just. Uh, we don't get many days like this when I just want to sit around. No, man. We watched St. Maud, and then we watched Easy Rider, and we drank coffee, and I'm probably going to watch the Free Britney doc, and then we'll watch a pay-per-view tonight. All in all, man, good good lazy Sunday. Yeah. Because we're going to get fucking railroaded with snow <laughs> um, in the middle of the night. The uh, the amounts just keep going up. Yeah, I saw it. My phone It's supposed to get... What, there's the boys a off. possibility of 12. Yeah. Cool. It's gone anywhere from 6 cool. to 12 inches. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Well, if you haven't already figured out, welcome to Why Did We Ever Meet. What up? Uh, talking to you on a uh, sunshiny Valentine's Day here in Ohio. Yeah, the sun's gone now. It was out. It was out. It didn't melt anything, but oh, it was out. No, it's, too, it's too cold for that. Uh, so, uh, as always... It's time for us to put our business in the front, because we are definitely going to what? Party in the butt. That's right. A great way you can support the show is to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. So whether you're an Apple Podcast guy, whether Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Google Play Store, whatever it is, make sure you subscribe to the show. Give us that Dave Meltzer five-star rating. Soon. And uh, and make us feel good about ourselves. We'd love to get, log on there and see some more some more five star reviews. It makes us feel good. Uh, in addition to that, you can follow us on Instagram at Why Did We Ever Meet. You can also follow us on YouTube or uh, on, not on YouTube <laughs> on TikTok at I believe it's at Why Did We Ever Meet podcast. I better look. You should probably look, but that's uh, mostly just you. That's, bro. I've been doing more TikToks, and they're fun to do. Uh, so you can follow us at Why Do We Ever Meet Podcast on TikTok, and you can also follow us on Twitter. Okay. You can also follow us on Twitter at WDWEM Podcast. And of course, to find out everywhere you can you can listen to our show, as well as several other incredible podcasts, visit jabroniu.com, the home of Why Do We Ever Meet. It's also the home of the Draft Pod, Biff Radio, which uh, Friday was excellent. He's doing uh, a series of Black History Month episodes, and they're killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was recently on the Draft Pod. We talked about the best movies of 2020, which was is our is a fun little annual thing I, I go on there and do every year. 
uh, Jabroni U Wrestling. You can also find uh, Locals Barbershop. And from the sounds of it, there's some more exciting shit on the way. So. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh. And was he dead? <laughs> uh, was he all right? <laughs> so uh, now that we've got all that out of the way, uh, when we say we party in the butt, we major partied in the butt this week. Uh, <laughs> This week's... That's why I'm just sitting around today. <laughs> this week's... No. Uh, well, we did maybe party a little too hard last night. Last, uh, y- you definitely yeah, did. Yeah, I was seeing through pinholes last we... night. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Bro. I, Bro. I was in a... I was... Uh, in an altered state, man. I don't know. Uh, this week's episode uh, features a very, very special guest. Uh, Eric Davidson, the lead vocalist of the seminal punk rock band, The New Bomb Turks, uh, as well as uh, front of the band, The Livids. And uh, he's a writer. Uh, he, he's been a, a longtime freelance writer. Uh, also authored a book called We Never Learn. Uh it's the the gunk punk underbelly, nineteen eighty eight to two thousand one, and it's a basically uh, if you if you are a fan of the New Bomb Turks or have ever heard them, they're of this era of bands that popped up in the nineties when for my generation when everybody sort of discovered punk after the typical Black Flag, Minor Threat, uh, Descendants, Minutemen, Husker Du sort of thing. Everything sort of branches off into you know what what's current, what are you after, and and at the time when I was when I was a teenager, what was big were labels like Fat Records and Epitaph, uh, Hopeless Records, Go Kart, all these labels that were doing kind of this this skate punk West Coast uh, style. I mean, obviously the East Coast had the New York hardcore thing, um, but then there was this other contingent uh, contingent of contingency contingency of. <laughs> Of punk rock bands that weren't like that, uh, they were they were much more in tune with that real raw, stripped down, uh, dare I say, garage punk sound. Uh, you know, similar to bands like the Saints or the Mummies, which you'll hear come up several times uh, in the interview. But uh, they were coming from a completely different place, and when uh, when I was turned on to the New Bomb Turks, that pretty much changed. Uh, Changed my view on how I got into or what I got into because the Turks opened the door for me to that whole world where I, you know, where I discovered then from there the Devil Dogs, Teen Generate, uh, Nine Pound Hammer, the Gories, Gaunt, uh, Jesus Christ, who else? The Oblivions, <laughs> the Red Ants, just a, just a whole, the Humpers. I'm just naming my record collection at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a whole slew of these bands and these other labels. So Crypt Records led to, you know, Sympathy for the Record Industry and Estrus and In the Red and all these fucking killer labels. Uh, but the Turks are from Ohio. They were an Ohio-born band. And they very much have this raw Ohio Midwest sarcasm to their punk rock. But they are, they are without a doubt, and have been my favorite band since i was like 15 16 years old so i have a straight up fucking you know fanboy crush that i had to like work through but it was a fun interview (laughs) so funny i think i did fine 
You did fine. Yeah, I don't think I'm a total lunatic in it, but uh, it's a fun show. It's a really fun episode. Eric's uh, Eric's band uh, that he fronted from 2011 to 2013. Uh, called the livids they have a a a record out now that uh spans their career and includes all of their seven inches singles and eps in one collection uh courtesy of danger house skylab uh his book is also uh getting republished in like a new version with with uh with extra stuff extra pictures new content all that uh and and we also talk obviously we talk about the turks but um this this conversation kind of goes everywhere and it's a really good time. So, uh, so yeah, I, we had fun talking to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy listening to this. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, so, don't forget to follow us uh, on Instagram at Why Did We Ever Meet. And uh, at every Wednesday at 11 a.m. If you are new to the show because, uh, b- because Eric Davidson is a guest on it. Hello, welcome. We hope you subscribe. There's lots more cool guests coming up. Uh, musicians, filmmakers, uh, just the whole slew. Um, lots of cool shit coming up. So, uh, yeah. So that's pretty much it. Yeah. We hope you guys enjoy this interview and we will talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, uh, our guest this week is a musician fronted the seminal punk rock band, the New Bomb Turks. He's the author of We Never Learned, the Gunk Punk Undergut from 1988 to 2001. His other band, The Livids, had all of their collections, singles, EPs compiled by Danger House Skylab that has recently been released in a beautiful LP that I can tell you is worth every penny. And on a personal note... Uh, this is a huge deal to me because the New Bomb Turks, when I discovered them at 15 years old, altered the entire course of how I would view music for the rest of my life. Wow. And I consider, this man, <laughs> <laughs> I consider this man to be the howling primal scream of Ohio rock and roll. Mm. So, ladies wow. and gentlemen, we are very proud to welcome Eric Davidson to the podcast. And this is where the canned clapping and cheering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, how are you, man? Well, I'm waiting for the roar to die down. Okay, oh, so yeah. I'm a, it's that second wave in the back. But... Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're trying to talk here, people. Um, uh, I, yeah, I'm doing good. Well, you know, I mean, <clears throat> it's been weird not hanging out with human beings for nearly a year now. But yes. um, so that's, and especially when winter, we've had a, this has been one of the, tougher winters weather-wise we've had in the last few years which mm-hmm. new york it's nowhere near as bad as cleveland where i grew up ever but it's still we're getting more snow and cold stuff so it's been you know it's hitting that moment of like ugh, i would like spring to come soon you know but um but we're feeling better about you know hopefully the vaccine's getting out there and getting yeah, more, uh, you know and, and some friends i know have already gotten some and and uh you know, so just trying to, you know, we, we're always saying how we, we don't go out as much. So we're actually kind of not spending as much money as mm-hmm. we probably would. Have. Yep. <laughs> but um, I finally got my argument when I, I get home from a bar and as I'm either puking or dealing with the hangover the next morning, I would be thinking like, you know, that 40 bucks I spent last night, I could have four more albums, you know. So I've kind of taken that theory and worked it during the pandemic. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Less hangovers, more albums. So yeah. in a sense, the pandemic has been very good for me. But that's, but, that's um, a pretty pretty standard way for us to handle it too. I at least for <laughs> me, it's like, well, 
we aren't going anywhere. So, you know, there's there's criteria to release another exactly yeah. Blu-rays that I'm probably going to need. So. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a criterion of um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High that was. I know. There. I can't imagine what hilarious backstage whatever they can throw on there. Hopefully, but you know. I, the thing that I'm most excited about is like a lot of those people are pretty fun loving, even like post Fast Times. Yeah, yeah. But like you, you look at a dude like Sean Penn who's so brooding. Yeah. Like, I really want to see an interview with him talking about Spicoli. I've seen weird little, over the years, I've seen weird little clips of him sort of breaking, breaking up a little bit while doing a scene on Fast Times, you know, laughing at his own fucking character, which is yeah. funny. Yeah. We just watched that movie last night, This Must Be the Place, which okay. kind of came and went 2012 or 13, I think. And he plays an aging goth rocker who's become this kind of recluse. And he literally, white makeup, giant Robert Smith hair. It's pretty hilarious, but it's, it's very slow and very methodical. And he ends up finding out that his father, who he hasn't seen in 30 years, was a Nazi hunter. Nice. And he goes back to America to try to find this last Nazi. But it's very artsy and slow and everything. But great music, looks great. Yeah, kind of takes about 40 minutes and you're like, wow, this is this is and then it really it's pretty great. But anyway, uh, back to I I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to uh, make light of the pandemic. It has sucked for sure. And living in New York, I mean, you know, summers especially I just love because we have lots of free junk going on. Lots of outdoor shows and bands playing on roofs and free outdoor movies and all kinds of shit. I ride my bike a lot, which I did ride my bike a lot Mm -hmm. this summer. But um, so, you know, you feel like you missed out on a whole year of living in New York is, is weird. I mean, it's hard yeah. for anybody in any, 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 any town. But right. um, anyway, that's how it's kind of. But we're, we're doing all right personally. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, I was really glad that the Turks got to do a lot of shows the end of last year in yeah. 2020. Yes. Because yeah. we hadn't it was the closest thing to like a tour we had done in a long time. We ended up doing about 10 shows between Thanksgiving and like a few days before the NBA was canceled. You know, like, it was like, I got home, literally, we played in Cleveland mm-hmm. and all the shows were really, really fun. And we played down South and sometimes we never played like Asheville. Mm-hmm. We played Nashville for the first time in like 24 years or something. Wow. Um, so we played a lot of good shows, a lot of fun, played with nine pound hammer, old friends of ours. That was yeah. a lot of fun. So we get home and the woman who DJed, the Cleveland show, who I, I wanted her to DJ. She's a really awesome uh, woman in Cleveland who's a DJ on college radio and stuff like that. She DJed. And I remember when I hugged her at the show and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just I, I'm just feeling like I got, me, and, me and my husband got some kind of flu or something. And I was like, oh, OK. So then I get home and more of this news comes out. And I started worrying. And she actually posted about it. It was funny. She's like, just in case anyone was worried, that <laughs> flu was not COVID, you know, so they got tested. And that was my only yeah. real scare, you know. Oh, and thankfully she played awesome music because it was so yeah. awesome that even if I got COVID, kind of worth it, you know, for the awesome music that she played. So well, it's funny you mentioned the Cleveland show and that run because she and I saw you guys in Detroit with the Reverend and Voodoo Glow Skulls. Yeah. yeah. And then our son, um, our teenage son who's over here, he's going like <laughs> this. Uh he that was I took him to see you guys at the Beachland. Oh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. And that was his first show. Now, in the frenzy of the show, I doubt you remember it, but he was the little blonde-haired teenage kid right up front. I think, yeah, I vaguely remember that. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, oft, I'm often 
rubbing the hair of unsuspecting people. Yes. In the front <laughs> oh, it. yeah, hey. <laughs> not blonde hair anymore. No, <laughs> no. Now, it's, now it's pink. You guys fucked him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, that was his first show. And um, it, well, it's it, funny because. When, when was that show? That would have been, it was right before. That's the one I was just talking about with the yeah. DJ. Because it was right before uh, March, like 7th or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he wrote about it at school on March 20th as his his first concert. Oh, that's awesome. Well, clearly he got an A++. Well, of course, man. (laughs) (laughs) When he came home, he was just like a different kid. Like he couldn't stop talking about it and was just so like hyped up. And it It was... It changed so, so funny. his first experience of like a true like punk rock show, like a rock, real rock and roll experience. Like now he plays guitar. He does, you know, like it is. Well, it's good for you guys too. Cause when he does something dumb, you can conveniently just blame it on me. And <laughs> oh, if, okay. if Eric hadn't tussled your hair at the front of the stage. <laughs> He's talking to a therapist. He's 41 years old. <laughs> Uh, this, uh, the Detroit show, I have to tell you this. <laughs> so oh my. you threw a can of Pabst in the air. Always a dumb idea. Yes. I caught it. <laughs> oh, wow. Good and drank it. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> and I looked at her. Pre-COVID. I looked at her and I go, that's the coolest fucking thing I'm ever going to do. It's over. <laughs> it's over from here. The kids won't get it. I can't explain it other than my old punk rock friends. There might be a, there might be a video of it out there somewhere. Who knows? Maybe. You know, it, was, it was my Stone Cold Steve Austin moment. Of <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's the first time we had played Detroit in like, I don't know how many damn years. Like, like yeah. seriously, like we sort of officially broke up a New Year's Eve 2002 into 2003 yeah. in Cleveland. We played with the Dirt Bombs and the Bass Holes. And that was really fun. Yep. But then, you know, soon enough, we just agreed that if we got some good offers for like a European tour or whatever, right. we'll show here or there. And, but somehow Detroit just, I can't remember the last time we played Detroit. And then those shows with, with Horton Heat, there were what, three of them, I think. I think it was Chicago, Detroit and uh, something else. And, exactly. um, and we, we did those, maybe it was just Chicago and Detroit. And, you know, the money was pretty good. We knew we played Horton Heat years ago. Yeah. Not like, tight with the guy but you know we played with them yeah and we wanted to play those towns because we have friends and family and stuff like that in both sure. and um it was funny because after the covid stuff started where they started you know clubs started closing and band you know bands were getting online sort of debating oh man i'm gonna lose out on all this money you know right. other people saying like well you're fucking crazy why do you want to go play when you know and he was definitely one of those that was like you know free the music and we're like oh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but, you know, whatever, it's his opinion. I think it changed pretty quickly, or at least he didn't have any choice whether it changed or not, because yeah, yeah. we had a seven-day seven European tour set up in July. Okay. And again, same thing. We were going to be playing like London that we haven't played since God knows when. We had on some really good festivals, some shows with the Hives, I think. Okay. So we were really excited about that. And, you know, it all got canceled. You know, it is, as they say, you know, what it is. And, and yeah. It was canceled. So I doubt, you know, we were kind of hoping like the whole, this will be over by the end of the year and maybe everyone will just book the same freaking shows next year. Right. But so far, I'm pretty sure that's not. You know, no, yeah. I think the only thing that I've seen, uh, they had tickets. She has tickets for uh, the two of them to go to a concert. 
and that's rescheduled yeah. right now it's yeah, rescheduled really. but i had bought tickets for us to see one of bob mold's like solo shows oh yeah yeah that got canceled i got the refund on the tickets and there's been like there's nothing yeah. so like I think a lot of these bands that were thinking like, yeah, we'll reschedule. It'll be a year out. Like, I don't know that that's my friend, just um, a friend of mine had tickets, even to one of those stone shows that were supposed to happen. Oh yeah. Think that would be a runaround or they would just say, Oh, well, you know, it'll be rescheduled. She actually got her money back for them. So they must figure if anybody is in the age bracket that might get sick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need 75 year old fucking. No, no, no. <laughs> Rolling Stones getting COVID. Yeah. The My Chemical Romance tour. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. As of right now, it's still set for. I'm sure there's September. a lot of money behind that. So it's weird too because if they bring it back at first, it's probably going to be stuff where like the club can have 30 percent capacity. Right. So for some bands, that's normal. But um, you know, sometimes if you went and booked a show and you were only allowed in like some people, and they're all kind of freaked out and spread out around, it might yeah. be weird anyway. You know. So I don't know. I think it just in seeing too, like how certain live events have played out, even like as recently as the Super Bowl. Like that's, I look yeah. at that and go, why, why the fuck are you risking it? First of all, like it's Florida, so they don't give a shit about it. <laughs> they don't give a fuck. Yeah. But like, what, what is, what do you, what is worth risking here? I like, it, you're going to max the number you can have, but you're still like, but then they show that footage, like Miley Cyrus did that pre show thing. That was a shitload of fucking people. Yeah, I it know. looked like a normal li- outdoor live concert, and these people weren't. They're not social distancing. I like the whole like what was it? It was the um, it was the game. There were the, well, being from Cleveland, the Browns were actually in the playoffs for the first yeah, time. man, yeah, since you know LBJ or whatever, and um, <laughs> and so the other game that was on the same day, I believe, was in. Was it Washington? No, it wasn't Washington. I can't remember what team teams it was. Probably in Florida somewhere or near yeah. Florida. And, <laughs> and, you know, you looked out at the audience and they claimed that they kept it. It just looked really fucking packed. And then yeah. the Browns game was like genuinely, if you're going to try to have an NFL game, it looked kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. But, you know, they're all going to go to the same stupid troughs in the bathroom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that that's the thing. Like when I think about like. Well, even just like uh, that last show that we saw you guys at the Beachland. Oh, God. That was just a normal fucking, like, that was, yeah. Like, I um, I got home on the 7th, and then I think that was a sun, Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. Saturday was the show. Maybe, yeah. maybe Monday. It might have been a Monday. It might have been a Monday. And then I remember going to one more local show because I talked to some friends, and I walked up to them, and we joked. We were about to hug, and we're like, oh, we got to do this thing now. And, you know, we bumped elbows. And I watched a couple local bands. And I remember like a couple days later was when the NBA, I think that's when, at least that's my timeline is people yeah. really freaked out when they saw the entire NBA cancel their season. You know? yes. yeah. like, yeah. And it looked like suddenly really serious, like money and all that. And so, then we saw just how seriously no one took it <laughs> about four months later. It's this constant, like, it's this constant need where they attach everything to their freedoms. And yeah, well. You know, we I, we could go off about this oh, forever, yeah. and we, I think we I think I already know that we agree on this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like it, the whole thing about so pissed about wearing masks. It's like you still kind of got to wear seatbelts, and you probably will forever. I doubt that law is getting changed. Right, right. right. Stop at red lights, probably forever. But the mask, if you wear it, hopefully this goes away, and then you don't have to wear the mask anymore. You know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do all these other things. I always tell people, say they don't want to wear the mask. I'm like, well, start smoking three packs a day again. Uh, don't wear your seatbelt. Run every red light and do uh-huh. a drunk. 
can. And, yeah. and, you know, and like, let's see if those freedoms, yeah, it's just, it's, the world isn't like that. But, you know, we know this. And so, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, so I, I've got, I want to say really quick that I did, yeah. we could look into this, but one of the things early on with the lockdowns and all that is yeah. obviously most of my income, I'm a freelance writer at this point. Mm-hmm. And so I can work from home. And so that's fine. Sure. And I don't exactly make a King's ransom, but you know, and, um, and various unemployment and things like that, I'm getting by, right? Sure. But one of the things I knew is I was like, I wanted to catch up on kind of back burner things that, that you yeah. know, I was putting off. And the Livids comp and the reprint of my book, yeah, things that I was able to work on this year and actually get done. So there's a lead in if you want, but that's. But yes, because those are two things I do want to talk about. Um, so we'll just go into them. Now, the Livids was like a, a I feel like it was just a burst. Like I found out about like, Hey, Eric Davis has got a new band. Where, where, where they're in New York. Great. I look, I'm like, Oh, they're not a band anymore. <laughs> like it, it was just like this. It, it feels like this flashbang. So do you guys still get together at all or not really? I mean, long story short is like basically early 2011, uh, Jamie, who's a guitar player, her and the first bass player, Alessandro, wanted to form a band. We talked about it at a bar. I'm like, hey, yeah. could I maybe be in this thing? And like, really? You want to do that again? I'm like, yeah, why not? But from early on, all three of us are, I'm a little older, but we're roughly the same age. Sure. We agreed, like, this was just going to be a kind of fun regional thing. Like, we're probably, Jamie's a working psychologist. I mean, she's oh, okay. Busy, you know? And yeah. And um, Alessandra had a really good job and it was like, okay, so this is just going to be if we can play once in, a round, once in a while around town and have some fun. But then we got Daniel, who was pretty young, really good guitarist, moved to town. He joined the band. And then we went through a few drummers too. And then we got another bass player who was also young. So just to be fair to them, because it's like, you guys are good looking and you can play. You should probably be in like, you know, a, a touring working band. Yeah. So we, we agreed to at least try to play, you know, some out of town shows and, we did a little bit. We did we did the whole South by Southwest thing is six shows in two days or whatever. Yeah. And we did a little jaunt to to um, Philly and Cleveland and Detroit. But other than that, we didn't really play out of town much. So by the time we got that actual remember when I said long story short? Anyway, yeah. by the time we by the time we got that finished sort of five piece together was already like late two thousand well, it was like two thousand twelve, early two thousand twelve. Okay. Okay. So we recorded a bunch of singles that spring. They came out through the end of the year. Yeah. We did those out, out of town shows through the 2013. And then we broke up at the very end of 2013. So we were a band for a, almost just almost exactly three years. Yeah. And, but we never really got out of town much. We didn't really hype ourselves that much because it was just like some seven inches and stuff. I liked our band. It was a lot of fun. We had a really yes. good time. We put, got to play with a lot of our favorite bands of the time. You know, we played with Judah and the Spitz. Mm-hmm. And just a lot of played a lot of fun shows. We opened up for the Hives at Irving Plaza. That was a lot That's of fun. Cool. So, you know, so we got to do a lot of fun stuff. And there was just some the usual band. You know, there was some tension between a couple members. And and Jamie got really busy with her job, and then she got married and was going to have kids and everything. So it just kind of ended. And, right. And with chance, we were maybe going to go to Europe, and, th- and that came up right around the time that we basically broke up. So that that never happened. But and this comp basically happened because somewhere in 2019. The guys from Danger House Skylab, it's a French record store, and then they have a label. They got in touch and just said, hey, we'd, we'd like to do a singles comp. And I was like, yeah, I always thought of those recordings as an album anyway. We recorded sure. them all within a couple of days, yeah. and I was wanted it to be an album anyway. So we I worked on that with them all last spring, just finding the 
recordings. We got them off to Tim Warren, who runs Crip Records, and he mastered, yep. you know, our old friend. You know, he, he mastered them for us. I found a bunch of pictures. We got the artwork together. And the, the only thing that sucks is, like, they only made 500 copies, which is fine. You know, we're not really working <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, you, they don't really have distribution in the States, so it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to find in the United, in the, you know, Northern Hemisphere, whatever the fuck we're in. And, um, and, uh, and so they, if you want to order it, you know, it's going to end up being like 30 bucks or something. So that kind of sucks. So I'm kind of hoping that they said, if it really goes well, maybe they'll do another run. And, and I found a few people in the States that bought a bunch and kind of distribute them on their own, you know, yeah. through their whatever Instagram pages or whatever. And um, yeah, so that was a lot of fun to get together and put together. And I'm yeah. really I don't know how it sounds. I mean, it's fun. Some there's actually um, some songs live from Cleveland at a bar in Cleveland that when we played there on there. So, and everybody who passed through the band is represented. We got we got the live songs in there so we could get the other people who, except our very first drummer, he didn't get any recordings. Okay. Oh. Anyway, so that's the long story. It's a fun record. I think it's really it is. what is it? Twelve and a half minutes long or something. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah. And it's it's uh, it's on forty five RPMs and it goes, oh, yeah yeah and. Um, yeah. And what was funny was when I saw that it was going to be coming out, I was like, great, this is exciting. But it looked like, oh man, there's a lot of hoops to go- jump through just to get a copy of this. I know, I know. Yeah. And fortunately that, uh, you know, there's, uh, that dude on Instagram, I can't, and I, oh, collector scum, uh, Justin. Yes. Yeah. He got it. I ordered it. He sent it that day. Like it was here quick. That guy is so great. I've known him for a long time. He's really nice. I'll give you a quick story with him and how I met him was kind of interesting. This is probably around 2000 or 2001. And Jim, our Turks guitar player, he writes me, he's like, dude, what is this? And and on Facebook, he found, or not Facebook, on eBay, he found somebody posted this cache of like Turks flyers and like some original artwork of one flyer and like some unused single sleeves and like all this stuff that like, who where did this come from? You know, and we're all kind of racking our brains. And it was a woman, I think from like West Virginia who was selling this stuff. And it was, it was clearly like not just usual fan stuff, like selling an album or a CD or something. So long story short, um, Justin, I somehow met him through that eBay thing. I asked a question of the seller or something and he got in touch because he was a fan. And this is when I think he was just starting out in his collector scum uh, career. And he he basically won the bidding, but then he wrote me. He said, I'm a fan. So if there's some of this stuff you want out of here, oh, that's cool. I wrote him separate and I said, Hey, you won fair and square. That's cool. Can we buy any of that stuff back from you? And he was like, if you want some of this, I'll make copies or I'll send you some of it. Long story short, it was, we figured maybe it was when Jim moved, he, he left one closet. He forgot to clean out one closet or something. And maybe somebody moved into that house, found the shit, didn't give a crap about it. Yeah. And just some friend. And then they sold it on eBay four years later. So it's totally weird. But that's how I met Justin. And he has since, you know, he lives in Jersey. I see him around yeah. New York every once in a while. He's oh. just a really good guy. And, and uh, yeah, so. Yeah. That, and what a small world that that would yeah, it was really weird. circle back like that. That's it so- was my first real experience. Cause this is like 2000 of how the internet can make like, yeah, can shrink the world down to this. Yes. Actually yeah. get in touch with the guy that found this stuff from somebody in West Virginia, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I, um, that was the thing too, for me with, with the Turks, like Mike. You found stuff in a closet? Wow. It it was speaking of small world. Like I grew up in like the Northwest Ohio area. 
Yeah. So um, we would go to Mad Hatter Records in Bowling Green, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And okay. is it still there? It's Probably not. not. <laughs> no. Um, do you remember Jim Cummer that ran it? Well, I only went there a couple of times. I don't know anybody. Okay. From there. I've been to that story. Yeah, it was a cool story. Yeah. It was. It was a great story. Like, unfortunately, like over time, you know how shit gets gentrified yeah, yeah. and people move on. It's it's like a fucking cookie store or something now. I don't know. It is. It's a cookie. Um, yeah. The but uh, I was in there. We were going in there just little shithead punk rock kids, right? Yeah. We'd all discovered, you know, Black Flag, Minor Threat, Descendants, Husker yeah. Du, da, da, da. And so we're buying everything up and... I don't know why, but he played Destroy Old Boy for me. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, I don't do this, but take this CD. Was, <laughs> awesome. It was over. It was over. <laughs> so then for me, it was just like, you guys, you guys are a gateway for me into records, sympathy for the record industry, all of that. Like you guys opened the doors to me to like, to the Nuggets comps, like yeah. the the Turks are like a gateway for that. We are the Miller Light to Nugget ninety <laughs> minute IPA. <laughs> it, I've I've always found that bands in like Ohio and and Michigan have this distinct sound. Like you look at like West Coast punk rock or East Coast, they have their their thing, but they we have a particular like I I want to say like a. Uh, a sarcasm? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. No, I remember when we first toured out west, like we would just say things that were just normal, dumb, fucking, even just kidding between ourselves or something. And people would be like, Are you mad at each other? We're like, Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> no, we're just kidding. It's, you know. But um, yeah, the whole sarcasm thing, I used to joke that you could see the words sort of, especially in LA, the words sort of float above people's heads, you know, as you said them, you know, like, bye, bye. <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a sarcasm. I, I usually attribute it to, and it always sounds boring at first to people, but uh, what a big deal weather is in life. Yes. Because I feel like, you know, Husker Du could only come from a really shitty cold town where they spent a majority of their year underground in a basement, probably, <laughs> drinking shitty beer and coming up with songs. They didn't. I always, I remember I was interviewing, I know I've probably told the story before, but I remember I was interviewing that, I believe it's Larry Livermore. Is that the Lookout Records guy, right? Yes, yeah. I was interviewing him years ago for some article I did and we were talking and I said, man, if I grew up near a beach, like no offense to punk rock or rock and roll or anything, but I may end up going to the beach and looking at pretty people and drinking all day and watching sunsets. I'm not going to probably sit in the basement and drink shitty beer and come up with punk rock songs. How do you guys do it? You know, and he, so kind of kidding, of course. But of course, the reaction is, oh, we hated all that. You know, we those people yeah. were cheating. I get that. And so, you know, yeah. but he also said, he said, yeah, well, you know, we were mad at the government, mad at our parents and all that. Too. And he's like, well, you know, like not really mad but you know mad and i always thought like, yep that's the difference because yeah, they were yeah. really mad at the weather when, when i couldn't go out for a while and, and i had to you know chop ice just so my car didn't or his car probably didn't slide out in the street and kill somebody months at a time or, or yeah. you know the clouds in cleveland that come in around halloween and leave around march 1st you know yes they do yeah and and you well, know it, now <laughs> exactly yeah. <laughs> you know so i think that is genuinely a big part of it you know but you also realize that life gets better and our summers are, are not too bad and then yeah. life gets really shitty again you know? yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. when you write a record yeah. <laughs> but, but i think and you have to have a sense of humor about that most of my friends also 
and people I grew up in were middle to middle, middle to lower middle class. Yeah. And, you know, definitely not any kind of like trust fund scene, you know, or anything like that, you know, and, and so there's that too in the Rust Belt, usually, you know, I'm at there are rich people, but you know, yeah. um, that's a big part of it. And yeah, I just think, I don't know what in the water or whatever, but yeah, a lot of my favorite bands obviously are yeah. like, you know, dead boys and rock from the tombs and yeah. studios all that you know it's just one of those things I think, by, yeah. I think by now hopefully that word has finally spread out in rock history and we don't have to explain who the mc5 are so much to people anymore. right right it's and what's uh, funny is because we're so close to toledo and when i played in bands i was playing in toledo and detroit all the time and that mc5 stooges element that's still alive like that yeah. that's woven into the fabric of the dna of this whole area and that the, you know, no matter what trend is happening, that little pulse always still beats in this area. And the yeah. same way, I think in Cleveland with, like you said, like the Dead Boys, Rocket from the Tubes, um, the Pagans, that sort of shit, like that still permeates, I think, how bands get to, uh, how punk rock sort of uh, thrives and exists in this area. The, the weather is one thing I always point out. Though. There was also a... Um... The whole thing about like I knew bands who actually got signed to like Homestead Records or um, you know I remember seeing Trent Reznor's pre Nine Inch Nails bands that were like just shitty you know you know like synth pop bands and stuff and but unlike a Trent Reznor pretty much everyone you met they because of their jobs or whatever they weren't able to do the usual touring I talk about this in my book We Never Learn which I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about. but yeah. you know the usual touring that most bands have to do or there wasn't a lot, there weren't a lot of uh, A&R guys, you know, popping around shows, you know, that I was going to in Cleveland when I was a teenager. Yeah. So even though Cleveland was a big radio market still, it wasn't really an industry town anymore. Bands weren't getting signed up. As great as the Raspberries were, that was the closest thing to a big sure. hit band that I knew growing up. And that was before I even ever started seeing shows, you know. Right. So there wasn't this expectation to have to do something to your sound or like, you know, dress a certain way or worry about like, an audience because you're just playing for those 10 friends that might start showing up and then maybe a slightly bigger crowd over time. But, you know, you know what I mean? So there, there was also that kind of Midwest, there's not really an assumption that anyone's going to give a fuck, you know, so, yeah. and that's freeing, you know, that's kind of freeing. Yeah. yeah. No, no one's going to care. Then you can make whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Well, and if in looking at like the trajectory of like the Turks and your releases, like, Crypt Records is like, I look at all the other bands that I love because of, of Crypt, you know, like the Devil Dogs or Teen yeah. Generate or Nine Pound Hammer, like you mentioned. But then, you know, when you guys transitioned to Epitaph, you guys were truly, truly stuck out amidst that sea of bands. You, the Turks were a unique sound in comparison to everybody else in that, in that stable. Jesus, I hope so. Um, no, we... we, we, we... <laughs> We always joke and they know this is no surprise to them. But like when we got signed Epitaph, it was kind of like they gave it about a two year shot of trying to sort of have this kind of arm of sort of garagey bands, you know, yes. so they had like Gas Offer and Red Ants and Humpers and the Cramps, actually. I and mean, that was a big reason I wanted to sign because I'm like, I can say I was on the same level as the Cramps. For yeah. a while. And, um, you know, and that, that was a good Zeke was on there. So that was like a, th those were bands we already knew and were friendly with and liked. And yeah, there was this feeling that like Epitaph was like poaching these bands from other labels, but whatever that happens. And they did everything they said they were going to do. They, you know, uh, they honored the whole contract. 
They did some ads and posters when we went on tour and it was fine. But one of the things I would go out there and I was like, yeah, if I grew up and like Pennywise was a band that I would become friendly with and open up at local shows. And right. I see that they're selling 500,000 records. Like I would be like, wow, what do we got to do to do something sure. like that? But in Cleveland, my favorite band and still one of my favorite bands, Death of Samantha, not selling yeah. 500,000 records, you know, like they were, but I loved them, you know, and I loved them more for what they were doing musically and all that, you know, yeah, so yeah. Was, you know, the whole skater, that whole world just wasn't our thing. And, and, um, skate punk stuff but they were nice people at epitaph that everyone who worked there was very nice and yeah they did, pretty much did what they said they were going to do and and you know so overall it was a good experience and and they, like i said they tried to promote it for a minute but uh you know the, those garage bands but whatever it, it and i do think too in looking at it now like in retrospect you guys and and like you'd mentioned the red ants the humpers all those bands being on epitaph i do think that that sort of opened up like internationally when you see bands like the hives or even the helicopters. Like, I don't think had it not been for the Turks, I don't know that those bands would have, would have seen uh, the possibility of like, Oh, this sort of rock and roll can exist in, in this world. And yeah, I, mean, I, know, I definitely know that like the helicopters, when they made their first record, they said they wanted it to sound like destroy boy or something like that. But that we met them early on and they, they're really great guys. And, and, Obviously, the Hives we met when they were really young, like 14 or whatever. Yeah. We were big fans. And I remember we played this, we played this festival in, um, in uh, where was it again? In Holland somewhere, Belgium, Belgium. And the festival was in these old World War One, like uh, World War One sort of tents or whatever. They were these things that were still around from World War One, And they, they could fit about 40 people in them and bands would play in there. And I remember we, we, we had met the hives earlier when like, they were like the close, a little more pop punk kind of thing. And then they played this thing and they were like hammering up the, the hives letters behind the stage, you know, like this cardboard, like <laughs> thing. And I'm like, Oh, that's cute. And then they played and we're like, what happened to this band? <laughs> they, were just, they were just so great, you know? And then, you know, we, I'm in touch with them to this day, you know, they're really yeah. everything. And, um, but yeah, I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that I think at least on the West Coast, especially, there were obviously those like Northern California, like the ripoffs and mummies and stuff like that that yep. was kind of going yep. on too. But um, yeah, you know, when we went out there, we definitely, you know, we first time we really did a proper long tour of the West Coast was opening up for the Super Suckers. So they already had a little bit of a crowd out there. So we yeah. were able to play through a lot of people right away. Just like when we went to Europe the first time, you know, that really helped. That was our our first tour ever our first proper tour yeah not just a weekend jaunt or something yeah was 54 shows in 60 days in europe <laughs> that was our first tour because oh, i had never even been on a, a jet plane at that point in my life yeah. I, yeah. I was 25 24 and we flew over there and it really helped because crypt already had because of the devil dogs and nine pound hammer and ron chance yeah. yeah. we already had a little bit of a crowd there you know and, and yeah. kind of tour map that we could work on so that helped too so yeah there were some serendipitous things and i try to point that out in my book and you know but um yeah i'd like to think that we kind of mashed together some trashy garage stuff with some kind of the speedier punk stuff and yeah, yeah. something hopefully a little bit different i guess and i i remember uh when you were on turned out a punk and damien brought up he viewed you guys as a like an early early style hardcore band best hardcore band of the 90s or something. and i never even thought of you guys in the realm. well I, I actually like like people can call us whatever they want yeah you know, 
just don't call me late for dinner. Is that the joke? Is that the that is the joke? <laughs> but uh, but they um, uh, but Damien, yeah, I mean his his stance is fine with me. I mean he's been in yeah, great, he's a super smart guy and everything. Yes, fun he is. But um, he uh, yeah, I mean you know we liked hardcore and 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 obviously you know in the energy of that and like we didn't play quite as fast. It was like when we went to record Destroy Oh Boy, yeah. we were all you know whether I want to admit it or not because I usually don't feel too nervous on stage and stuff, but we were all a little nervous and like, Oh my God, someone's actually paying for this. Like New York, this is a New York, well, Brooklyn studio and somebody's paying for this. We got to do this right. We got to get it done. They're not going to pay for us to come back another weekend and do this. So we better get this done. And we were a little nervous and, and we already really respected Mike Maricana, the producer, even though we'd only met him briefly one time, like in a record store. So we were just nervous and we drank, you know, quite a bit and uh just beer you know just a few cases of beer the first day but we were just pounding it and just zipping through songs so i think the nervousness and wanting and needing to get it done we played faster i always remember bringing home and my girlfriend at the time being like wow this this sounds a lot faster than uh the live show (laughs) i guess so yeah and then it just kind of stayed that way i guess because also i think once you get tighter as a band and a little more confident and you yep. like playing fast anyway, you tend to zip it up a little bit. But we didn't, you know, we definitely like some hardcore bands, but I stop at hardcore right around, for me personally, right around like Black Flag, Minor Threat style. Like I didn't really like a lot of that thrash and all that kind of thing. And by the end of the 80s, for me, going to shows and cleaving hardcore bands were always a little weirder, kind of some weird edge, like a weird squirrely voice or some kind of dark gossip. Yeah. You know, it was always some weird thing to hardcore bands. <laughs> Like straight up hardcore bands, I was just kind of like, eh, I was kind of already getting tired of the whole like baldy mosh pit, you know, no girls allowed kind of thing, you know, and yeah. I, you know, and, and I, uh, so that kind of thing, I think what I write about in my book too, is I just feel like there were a lot of bands like that all of a sudden that were kind of leaping from, you know, end of punk in 1980 or something original right. punk ahead to something a little more that looks back to 60s garage rock and stuff like that, you know, rockabilly. Well, yeah, since you mentioned that, I do want to talk about, let's talk about that with your book, which you're working on uh, going to be republished? Well, basically, basically, it's the same publisher, but what happened was about two years ago, they were, my, they kept my book in print, which was really cool. So you could still buy and order it from them till around 2018 or so. Sure. But then they didn't print any more. So and and then I saw the um, I had written a few people trying to find if anybody wanted to maybe reprint it. And then I saw the the same boss man publisher guy at a a book event that I went to. And um, he was like, you know, we got bought out by this bigger company and they went through our whole catalog to pick out titles that they would want to reprint. Mm -hmm. It was one of them. So if you want to reprint it, we'll do it. And we can do color pictures this time, which is cool because last time. Yeah. black and white we have a color photo section and then we decided i would write like a new preface and a new postscript kind of like okay. why I did the book and then was there any sort did i see any sort of effect or anything like that afterwards so i wrote those two things we added a couple more thank yous a lot i added more black and white photos too so there's going to be something like 40 more pictures in it and you've got the scoop, by the way. I've been saying right. the scoop. You know, I'm sure that like the New York Times is going to be really pissed off about this. But, um, but uh, you know, it was either you or I was going to call Drew Barrymore and go on her show. It was one of the two. But Drew, um, as always, yeah. as we famously we beat yeah. Drew Barrymore to everything. <laughs> Not too serious though. I don't know. No, but um, so 
Uh, yeah, so um, I'm probably going to announce it soon. I'm just just yesterday we were talking about what's the actual release date, and I'm not sure. It was supposed to be June. It might get pushed back because everything is always fucking pushed back now, you know. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but it's going to have a different cover, and you know, so it'll be definitely worth even if you already have it. It'll definitely be worth. That's it. That's cool. So how how did the book how did that book come to be? Like I you're you're a writer. You've um you've been a freelance writer for quite a while. If I'm quite a while, yeah yeah. So how does the book how does we never learn become a book? How did that happen? Basically the, the um, you know, I, I think, um, I, I, I talk about it a little bit in the, in the reprint, which you should all go pick up. So I, I don't want to spoiler alert, you know, um, <laughs> anyway, um, the, uh, I got, Jesus, I got, um, I, I, I basically, you know, I think when you write is, any kind of any kind of writer even just I mainly write music journalism stuff you know I don't do much fiction I don't you know it's mostly music or arts or movies or whatever but always in the back of your mind somewhere you're like well I wonder if I could do some sort of you know compilation of my work or maybe I should write a book or whatever and then one night I was at a bar with Mike Edison who was a drummer in the Pleasure Fuckers who were another crip band yep. uh, he was also in the Raunch Hands of course before that and um, he's a friend and he worked for Backbeat Books which is who put out my book and he said, um, they were looking for authors and looking for ideas. And he said, why, you know, you ever think about writing some, why don't you send me some ideas and we'll kick around some ideas. So I had about four or five ideas I threw at him. And that one was the one he thought was probably the best because he said, you know, you were in these bands that you think you're talking about. You were in one of these bands and you've been a writer. So if anyone's going to write about these bands, you can kind of look at it from both sides of the world sure. or whatever. Um, and, you know, you, you've really traveled a lot. And, and I met, probably i'm sure i met every single one of those bands in my book you know yeah and yeah. um and yeah it was basically like that was my little theory which is in the book you know but that basically there was this whole bunch of bands starting around 88 or 89 that did seem to be like really liked punk rock's energy and all that and humor and everything but kind of looked at hardcore as just taking itself a little too seriously a little too fast a little too macho a little too you know just like that you know and um kind of looked back to the back from the grave compilations or the, you know, old rockabilly compilations or original punk, like the really trashy, the pagans and stuff like that. Yes. The really trashy killed by death compilations, you know, that stuff. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> killed by death came out. The first one came out in 1988, you know? So that was kind of my window. I was like, this basically happened in the nineties and most of these bands didn't get a lot of ink, even though people think the nineties were kind of the last stand for guitar rock just because of like grunge and alternative rock and stuff. And a lot of these bands in my books might have played with some of those bigger bands, might have seen some of those bands, might have come from the same town. But we were all on this sort of other tier, usually touring in Europe more. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I just thought that those bands, you know, deserve some ink. I thought that there was a thread through them all that that I just described, I suppose. And um, I just thought it would also be just a fun collection of stories yeah. that I'd gotten, you know. And I also noticed that a lot of these bands were still around. I started writing the book in 2008. And either they were around or they were reforming, like the mummies yeah. were reforming. Yeah. Degenerate was starting to do some shows. Yep. You know, Super Suckers were still around. The Gories were going to get back together yep. for some shows. You know, the Oblivions were getting back together. So obviously we never really totally stopped. So, you know, it just seemed like it would be a fun thing to do. So, and those, I, around, I always joke, like whenever, if somebody complains, oh, you didn't, you didn't cover this band or you didn't cover that band. Yeah. I'm like, well, first of all, I, I mentioned something like 125 bands in this book. I personally interviewed something like almost 90 people, you know, and it was like, 
So if you don't like this book, read one of those other books about this 90s underground garage punk. Oh, wait, that's right. Wait a minute. I'm the only guy. (laughs) Now I heard that Estrus Records, um, the uh, label, the label. Yeah, yeah. Bellingham, they're putting out a big, nice, beautiful, you know, they always had cool artwork and all that. They're putting together, they're putting together a book about their, um, about their, their label. And that should be pretty beautiful. I think it's just about Estrus, you know, and those bands. Oh, okay. So just their label. Okay. Yeah. And I think someone's putting together, I think some sort of budget rock book, you know, about the whole like ripoffs, mummies, supercharger, trashy stuff. So we'll see if that happens. That would be kind of cool too. But I know that does people quit your complaining and buy my book. (laughs) (laughs) If I tried, I tried, damn it. 125, man. I mean, I mean, at least, you know, that's enough to keep that because you know as well as anybody. There's a hundred best albums and 50 best singles in the back. Sure. So, So, yeah, I don't know how many goddamn bands, but you know, so. And And, and I mentioned more in the new update too, so. And you know as well as anybody, all of those bands seem to record eight million seven inches and in EPs along the way. And that was my only cutoff. I tried to, you know, there's there's clearly bands that had like one super awesome single, and maybe they were a band for like four years and played all over Texas. Yeah. Or something. But I tried to keep it to at least bands that at least got one album done, or okay. yeah, a few, um, a few EPs or something, and at least did a little bit of touring. I tried to keep it to like because otherwise you'd be mentioning thousands of bands and the sure, book is sure. like 250 pages long, which is you know pretty crazy. Sorry, this keeps beeping. You're good. You're good. This is doing it. Mine was doing the same. Um, so you brought something up too that I do think is interesting because of all those bands from my generation of guys that came up listening to you guys, the Gories, everybody. What is it with this style that is able to continue to keep getting together? Because, you know, oh, wait, whether- hold on one sec, I kind of lost you and I'm stupid on how to get this thing going again. So hold on one second. You're good. Um, You're good. Let me, you can You're still pull. on ours. We can still see you. You can see me. I just can't see you. Hold on one sec here. Um, uh, is that it? No. Share screen. Oh, is that it? Open display preferences. Um, no. Wait, just one sec because I want to be able fine, to man. zoom. What is this thing? Hold on. Um, hold on one sec. You're good. Check the timestamp on this. Beeping on my uh, and now I can't. I'm sorry, that was my fault. I can't see them again. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, that Hi. Was, I love very much. You Thank can't you. see them. This is what I do when I'm doing Pilates. I don't want to see what other people are doing on the screen. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're very nice folk. I know. And, so is it participants? I know it's probably down here. I, <laughs> here we are. Oh, you. hi! Look, you look hi. <laughs> <laughs> They got a cool mirror back there. You see a cool mirror? Oh, yeah, that's mirror. nice. Starburst mirror. Okay. Okay, yay! Thanks, Happy Saturday. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> that was uh, yeah. She's the voiceover actress artist in the house. So that's her. Uh, we, a, a friend built a little studio see that black like looks like yeah, a road the case? road case he built it opens up like this and he built a thing and that she can go in there and do soundproofed voiceover stuff during oh that's so cool that's really yeah, yeah. So she's near a train we live near an above ground train and um oh. when it goes by it you can hear it a little so she yeah yeah that's cool um so why do you think what do you think it is of that of you guys's generation of bands that it, you're able to keep getting together and keep playing 
like well you know it's funny because that was one of the things that i used when we started as a band i thought i remember very early on we'd be compared to like the saints or the dead boys or, yeah. or um, the pagans or whoever yeah oh that's great that's amazing and to a band a lot of well at least the original saints lineup most of those bands lasted two years three years yeah. five years at best yeah. and usually the old line was like oh this stuff is it's too crazy it's it's too high energy you can't make music like that so when you get older you got to settle down and all those kind of arguments you know sure, sure and i always wanted to prove that like maybe you can keep doing this without doing piles of cocaine all the time you know and um <laughs> <laughs> turned out to be true coffee was involved sure, sure. but um, but uh beer you know um but and really honestly most of our shows i may as well have been doing coke for all the listening <laughs> and everything. really dumb but um so so uh th- then i noticed that like I-, I think a big part of it is just the good thing about not getting massive huge top 10 hit success sure is that you don't beat yourself to death touring. You tour when you want to, how long you want to tour. Yeah. You know, maybe you, you know, you're not going, you're not spending years dealing with bad record deals and getting right. a new management company. And suddenly it's three years later and you lost the bass player. Cause now he hates the drummer or whatever, you know, it, it's like all those kind of things that usually break up normal rock and roll bands up until about the 1990s. Sure. The good thing about rock becoming consistently less popular through the end of the (laughs) is that is that bands could kind of do their things when they want to do it and i just think that and also we are living in it we are a generation that you know frankly we did kind of worry about drug use a little more a lot of bands try to be a little smarter with it some a little more you know like looking at it a little more and being realistic about it if you want to keep playing and you know things like that and so you know, the, the, the guys in the seventies that had to die from overdoses were kind of doing the groundwork, <laughs> but, um, but that is, that's well beyond sarcasm, isn't it? That's gotta be just like weird fucking, uh, death but anyway, um, you know, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, yeah, not that I didn't know. I, in, on a serious note, I knew people who had bad drug problems. Of course, yeah. And it's very sad and weird. But I think all those things together, you just, you know, you're able to do these things when you want to do them and how you want to do them. So if the Oblivions don't want to play for like four years and just record once in a while or play once in a while and then go to a tour, they can do it. Right. And it used to be if like, let's say, you know, I don't know, pulling his name out of my ass but let's say you know three dog night wanted to get back together in 1983 and do a reunion tour it instantly looks pathetic because they went from being that old band you remembered as this big hit band to playing little clubs for much less money and it looks sort of pathetic and weird right we never made money in the first place so so if we if we (laughs) want to and play and play a festival in europe it's like wow this is better than we've ever done you know (laughs) it's like you you don't look as pathetic and weird and like ugh, you know or like or you know like when the pistols came back oh obviously a cash grab now i do kind of wish i would have seen it i always tell the story like the first pistols were in around 97 right because we're like 20th anniversary right and they were in their 40s yeah i remember hmm 50 dollars we got to drive to cleveland and they're in their 40s. I'm like, I'm not going to this thing. But of course, everybody I know who saw that tour said they were great. And now when I think about it, believe me, I'm past my early 40s and I'm still playing shows. So it's like, <laughs> well, I guess I probably should have gone to see this. 
but um but you know when things like that happen like bands that really had great success yeah and they come back years later now if like the sons of hercules wanted to do a reunion tour i don't yeah. think anybody would bear any grudges against that you know or yeah. you know whoever you know or like the cynics who still do really well in, in spain well yeah. yeah go back to spain and play some more have fun you know absolutely you yeah you'll do it if you can still stand and jump around the stage and you feel you're still giving a good show to the cr- crowd you know why not okay. right right and i i do like to think recording is different you know it depends i don't i don't like you know i don't know about you'd have to make sure you have really good you know tunes and time to put it together and it's hard for me because i'm used to recording i like to record with the guys and practice in a room together and come up Makes with sense. i'm not an mp3 guy trading them back and forth and singing into my laptop i'm just not that's not me <laughs> yeah but maybe someday, maybe we'll record something someday. Maybe. It's, but the, the great thing is that you know that it's not, so, you guys don't lose sleep over that. You know, over like, well, uh, over like, well, if we record, if something, if we are, you know, if something. Oh, no, yeah, because, well, also because we don't really, we literally do a show once in a while. I mean, those 10 yeah. shows we did the end of last year, that was the most we'd done since 2002. We usually yeah. do a four day European festival maybe, or, yep. or we go and play Chicago cause it's a friend's birthday. And then maybe we'll play Cleveland on the way home or something like that. You know, we do stuff like that. That's like fun. Um, Europe is definitely also, you make some money at it and that's great, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's great to get back together with the guys and, and old friends in Europe and see people. And, you know, there's all that too, you know, so right. it's really hard to say no to stuff like that. And even if you have a notion in your head, like, well, I'm getting older. Do I look silly up there? It's like, if I'm having fun and I get to see my friends and the crowd seem, we still seem to get crowds come out for it. So yeah, you do. <laughs> we, we can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, when you, uh, you talking about going to Europe, like what is that? What is that, that in the U S like you guys are the helicopters or bands like that, that don't catch that audience, but then you guys go to Europe and you're playing with these bands and these are big audiences. Where is the disconnect in the U S music? Yeah, I think, I think we, we did all right in the States too, overall, but I would say yeah. like, you know, I think it's probably changed. We don't go over as much anymore. So I can't speak from as much of a voice of, of, uh, uh of uh, um, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, expertise as maybe I could have sure, years sure. ago. Let's still go over once in a while. For us, what we noticed when we first went over there was the simple fact that like these are democratic socialist societies that have a uh, lot of support for the arts. And you end up playing in the early days, you end up playing these youth centers, you know, that are supported by government grants, you know. And one of the cool things, I mean, I've probably told this many times, but, you know, you'd go over and there would be like, essentially a squat, you know, like people were just squatting in a building and there were laws, especially in Holland mostly, but I think throughout other parts of Europe where if you, if your group of friends or whatever you called yourself, your organization squatted in this building and over four years or whatever it was showed that you at least fixed the electricity or put on consistent shows or used it as like a soup kitchen. Or if you did something with that building, you would get ownership of the building. You know, and like that ain't happening in America, you know, it's like, so you would have these places become not only would they get ownership, but then they would apply for a grant and get like a million dollars, you know, to, to fix the place up. And then of course they basically survive on like practice spaces. Maybe they offer bands or green printing room. I'm not saying this was everywhere. We played a lot of bars, you know, Yeah, 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 but then I think there, so that's sort of the financial end of it is they can kind of afford to cover part of the plane tickets and like give you, yeah. you know, a guarantee. And, you know, 
we'd play some of these European places. Maybe even if only 20 people showed up, they would pay you what they said they'd pay you. Okay. Then okay. that doesn't always happen in America. No. <laughs> you know, so it's like, and no one's going to have a gun under the bar to scare you out of there. You know, if you can play yeah. your money. You know? <laughs> so um, that's sort of the economic side of it. But, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of that's changed too, because our lovely new world order. And I think a lot of that, I've, I've heard friends from Europe complain that there's less and less of that. And that a lot of the squatting laws are changing and shit like that. So that kind of sucks. Yeah. But you still, the old, and then you have the festivals, which in Europe have been going on since long before Woodstock, you know, they yeah. invented that thing. And they have really good, you know, set in stone festivals that they know how to run every year that make them shit tons of money. Right. So while they can have Nick Cave and the Foo Fighters on one stage, they can put you and whoever the toy dolls or whatever right, on right. the other stage, you know. And so there's that. But then there's also, I think, there's always an interest in, you know, like the way Americans always think British bands are like, there's something exotic and interesting automatically about a British band or, yep. or you know, K-pop or whatever. There's always something interesting about the thing from another country that isn't in your face all the time. There's a lot of respect. It's easy to bag on America and everything, but there's a lot of respect for American art over in Europe, a lot, oh. you know, for film and music and painting and everything. Right. And so American rock and roll bands are kind of like, well, that's kind of where rock and roll came from. And it's kind of where punk came from too. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's a real respect for that and, and it's exciting. And then in general, just if a band comes to your town from Australia, you probably try to go out of your way to see Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Came in from Detroit, you know, like, yep. so it's like that too. It's like, Oh wow. Like, you know, and we always tried to make it like, we tried to be fair and make sure that, you know, we, we'd get some offer for some great guarantee money and be like, wow. But if we found out that they were going to charge, you know, 50 bucks to get in or something, we, we tried to always make sure that it was at least fair, you know, right. and, and you can do things, you can negotiate a little easier. There were times we played Italy where like literally the local mob, they, they would just cut up the money at the end of the night. And they'd be like, okay, that's for the local mafia. And we're like, wait, what? We're like, well, yeah, you know, this is sound guy, mafia, the lighting rig. We're like, wait, what was that? And yeah, yeah. So that happened in the first couple of Italian gigs. And we had a Fugazi, I believe, was the ones that got that put into their contract, the sort of anti-mob clause in their Italian contracts. And we we ended up, I think, using almost the same clause or whatever. <laughs> now, again, whether that still goes on, I don't know. But um, was, I, just, probably I just can't imagine probably. being an American band and being like, Hold on. How are you dividing? Who? Wait, oh, why? We were there. We were there with Teen Jenner. It was when we did some shows with Teen Jenner in Europe. Yeah. It was packed to the fucking gills. It was this awesome squat style, like just warehouse. Fucking awesome. Yeah. So we get in the back and they're going to house us. Usually in Europe, they get you hotels or you got a nice place to stay or they always get you food and they got us food for sure. But it was just these gnarly, like fucking bunk beds, you know, like, well, whatever. This is where we're crashing tonight. That's yeah, it. yeah. But they were ponying up the money and the place there had to have been 350 400 people there the cover was basically like 22 bucks or something like that and here they were ponying out and it looked like we were going to make like a couple hundred bucks we're like mm, can we maybe count that again and then as he was explaining it we were like whoa how do you tell the guy don't give that to the mafia <laughs> like he had a choice you know like i'm doing one of these okay this time but next time <laughs> <laughs> sure enough we got it in our contract and we didn't go back to italy for about i'm um, almost two years but i mean italy's great we always have a great time in italy i'm sure none of that really happens much anymore but sure you know we always have a great time there and you know like S spain and holland and I, I guess we're probably our favorite places to play spain I, 
Oh, I'm just going to ask that. Where were the where were your where were the places that you're like that was that can't well, wait to get back there? Just crazy. I mean, cocaine had a lot to do with those crowds, but sure. but I mean, it, it just they just really know their shit. They yeah. you meet young kids who knew who like knew who yeah, man. Where Ubu was or whatever. You know, like they know their shit. They know the Crip, Crip bands always did great in Spain, so they go back to Spain a lot. And a lot of the garage kind of bands would go back to Spain, so I think it sure. became an underbelly favorite kind of in spain you know and you know you're not going on till like 2 30 in the morning and you know you're, you're out till the sun's coming up all the time uh-huh. it's just fun you know they're giving you a, a pasta meal at like 11 30 at night i'm like, I'm gonna puke all of this up <laughs> in a matter of hours on stage and like well yeah of course you know <laughs> and you know and it was just always you know the local bands were fun and you know yeah it was, it was just great but you know everywhere there, there wasn't any place in europe that's bad because even if you know Sometimes like like Paris was always a crapshoot. Okay, but you're in Paris. You know? yeah. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> Please be a crapshoot so I can go back out and look at the fucking Eiffel Tower. You know, <laughs> but, you know. But those got better as the years went on. Yeah, I always tell people, but Turing's weird because I always tell people I've been in in Paris I think four times before I even saw the Eiffel Tower in daylight. No because, shit. Because oh. you're driving all the time, you know, yeah. and you're going into town and you've got to go straight to the club, which is a punk club not close to the Eiffel Tower. Way out of town. And you got to do your sound check and then you eat and then they're French. So we're sitting around talking over wine for hours, you know, and then you do your show. And then we used to literally drive to the Eiffel Tower after the show. I think we did that two or three times just to see the Eiffel Tower. And pre 9-11, you could drive right up to the fucking Eiffel Tower, walk around the Eiffel Tower with the lights off, just walk around. There were, you know, hardly any guards, nothing, you know. And so that was cool. You know, th- those were some cool times. But then finally, like the fourth time we were in Paris, we got there. I think we stayed. We made sure to have a day off the next day or something like that. Okay. And we went to the tower and we looked around, blah blah blah. But um, and I remember we did. We did. I did a shot of our drummer Bill mooning us, and I took a picture. And he's underneath the Eiffel Tower. He's mooning us. It's beautiful lighting, absolutely gorgeous, yeah. like something out of a De, De Leon movie. Is that what his name was? Yeah. Anyway. And gorgeous, except that Bill's ass. And we call that you know moon over Paris, of course. <laughs> yeah. um, with the uh, with we brought with some the, American class to your yeah that is the most yeah. it, it is an, kind of the most American thing you could have done. Only Americans, yeah. It should be an album cover. <laughs> oh no, it shouldn't. <laughs> it's yeah. you'd be reading the back cover liner notes a lot on that one. Yeah. <laughs> with with how things are, in in addition to like the pandemic, just motherfucking everything. Yeah. Um, music has evolved like music has evolved in this generation has like we're raising a teenager whose musical taste is just this scatter shot of chaos um where do you see like i I mean you're writing you're seeing this where do you where do you see rock and roll like where's rock and roll's place in this generation it's weird i think one is i think as you get older you're you're a lot less prone to sit there and argue about someone's taste you know i mean you kind of get used to like this is what i like I'm not going to convince you that 21 pilots suck. So why don't we just, you know, and, um, and, but I, and again, I talk about this a little bit in my new upcoming reprint of we never learned. Um, Oh, you got a cat too. You're really awesome. Yeah. That's a great Meet Allie. (laughs) There's a cat just walked across the laptop, but um, we have a great cat too. We love our cat, but um, hi Allie. Um, So um, that's a great name for a cat. Our cat is named hello. Which is Hello, a perfect. Yes. Um, 
so uh, uh, yeah, so I talked about this a little bit in the reprint, but um, I remember really distinctly our first few tours, especially out west. Um, we we all were like college radio guys, yeah, and we came from Cleveland, all four of the original members from Cleveland area. So we we had fairly wide tastes, you know, and, yep. and um, so we would, I remember getting this interview with a fanzine kid. I don't know where it was, you know, but one of the first tours and he's like, what were you guys listening to in the van on the way here? And I rattled off, you know, a bunch of, there was anything from like ghetto boys to Frank Sinatra to the new devil dogs or whatever. You right. know, it's stuff. People never realize that. It's like, do you really think a punk band is going to spend their eight hour drive listening to loud, hard punk rock music? And, you know, it's like, no, you're hung over. You're going to listen. (laughs) You know, the window rolled down. That's a hot one. Um, And so, so I remember how shocked this kid was that like we were listening to Prince or something. He just couldn't, he couldn't get that. Like, cause it was a little punk show, you know, it was a little all ages punk show. And this kid goes to all ages punk shows with a bunch of hardcore bands. And that's great. But you know, that was like his window. Right. And then I think as the 90s went on, I think a lot of the bands in my book had similarly wide tastes. And so it became, on just that level, I think it became a little more acceptable. But then once you got into like, you remember like the seven CD players and you could hit random, you yep. know? And then yep. when the iPod came along and you could have, you know, 400 CDs. <laughs> so it, it, like, kids got used to, when we look through our records, you see the SST label, you see the cover of the Stones album. Yes. You, when you scroll through an Apple iTunes list, it's just all words. Right. Yeah. And I remember when I started working at CMJ, I was, an, I was a managing editor at CMJ for a while, I don't know, for about six years. CMJ is no longer around, so yeah. anyway. But I worked there, and I remember the younger interns and things that would write reviews for us. You know, you, know, you put out band name, album, label, and then you review, right? That's right. how you review of a record. They would always forget to put the record label. And I always thought that was so interesting. And because to them, whatever, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't care if something was on Merge or something was on Warner Brothers or, you know, to them, it was just like, you know, a record. And that's when I really thought like, there's weird things about that because we grew up with that. I like regionalism and I like knowing that if something is on, you know, twin tone, I have a vague idea what it might sound like. You know, there's something awesome about that as far as like tribes and and learning and, 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 and it directs you to other good bands. But if you don't need that anymore because you got Google, then, you know, it's like, it's also a good thing that I think kids have a much wider taste in music. And I think, yeah. That's, yeah. I think hip hop sampling had something to do with that too, where I remember, yes. I, I remember when, well, this is exactly hip hop, but Girl Talk, who was a, yeah. a, you know, Girl Talk would sample everything in one song from like a TV commercial to Hall and Oates to the Dead Kennedys. Right. And it would just be like, how the fuck? do you gather all that in your head? <laughs> but if, and then what does that guy sample 20 years later? Do you know what I mean? Like, right, how right. weird and is this going to get? So I just figured those rules are kind of out the window by the mid 2000s. And I think it, overall, I, I like, you no, know, I like record labels and I like the concept behind all that. But I think overall, if younger people are going to have a wider view of music, that's probably a good thing. You know? Yes. Yeah. Agreed. I, and I do like knowing too, like, cause they're still discovering music. Like, our son discovered the band Wildlife from New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know those guys. Yeah. Loved them. Uh, the Whiffs. Yeah, and he loves he loves that stuff. He discovered those are bands he found on his own. But in the same token, he also will he'll put on a Harry Styles record, yeah. right. or he'll listen to a Prince record. You know, like right. 
it, it's a scatter. Yeah, it's a little weird because I feel like no one is born. You don't pop out of the womb and go, "Can I hear T Rex?" You know, like <laughs> everybody kind of you you do. I like the concept of the older brother or sister or yeah. uncle or aunt who had the cool record collection and you listen to it. Oh, I can't wait to go to my uncle's house because he has all these cool records. Like, I like those stories probably just because it's so much easier to just simply hear the music. I mean, this is something people like us would always say, but remember when you'd hear about a band like the digits, I'd read about them in a fanzine. Uh-huh. I'd have to wait until one of those records showed up at a record store to yeah. actually hear them. Yeah. You know? And now you just punch it in fucking YouTube and that's fine. That's great. I would have done the same thing when I was a teenager, but I do think there's a little something lost, of course, in the discovery and in the, in the, you know, I often mention how, you know, obviously when we went on tour, one of the first places we tried to find when we got to a town was a record store, you know? Yeah. And I looked for probably, you know, eight years, I was trying to find any kind of video evidence of the saints, you know, <laughs> like anything, you know, you know, some record stores back in the nineties would have the, you know, the shitty like bootleg video cassettes. Yep. Yep. And one guy from Australia actually sent me a package with an autographed saint seven inch and a video with radio Burman saint stuff on it got lost in the mail. Never knew what happened. Oh. <laughs> so all those kind of stories. So by the time, then one day, a friend of mine sends me a monk's video from YouTube. This is when YouTube just started. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, this. He goes, oh, it's cool. You should go look at it. It's called YouTube. I woke up the next morning. I punched in the saints and there was a video for I'm Stranded. And it just hit me so hard that like, and then the next day I put in the saints and there was another saints video on there. And by the third day, I was like, eh. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so all that, you know, decade plus of trying to find <laughs> and all the stories. I went to Australia. I didn't even find this when I was in Australia in 1990. <laughs> But here, here in one second on YouTube, 12 years of my life was, was you know. right. Right. So while I love, I love the search of that and the stories right. I can get. Out of it, yeah. Sure. It would have been easier if I could have just punched saints into a no box. Shit, right. <laughs> yeah. I, and there are things that I've done, like I'll just out myself. It, I, I'm sure this isn't weird to you, but like I'm a Turks completionist when it comes to your catalog. So I, I, but I've, Try to be, yeah, <laughs> I try to be as organic as possible. Finding the seven inches, going right. to any record store I could. Um, man, once Discogs came around, yeah, yeah, and eBay like that mm. made it a lot easier. Sure, to of course, if it was out there, yeah, of course, yeah. and it, it narrowed the search. But to your point, you the the clamoring for that one thing. It's not as hard. To, you don't have to clamor as they much don't. anymore. Yeah. I do like those stories. I mean, I, I always say nobody has stories anymore. Like I'll see someone with a cool yeah. T-shirt. I'm like, oh, cool T-shirt. Where'd you get it? Now it used to be like, oh, that Muffs T-shirt. Well, I saw the Muffs in Cleveland and it was a really yeah. fun. Yeah. Really Kim took her guitar and smashed it over Ronnie's head. It was hilarious. You know, it's like, and then it becomes a story. And then you're talking about the Muffs. Now it's like, where'd you get that? Internet. You're like, yeah. <laughs> Okay, where are we eating again? You know, and then you just wait. (laughs) So there aren't as many good stories anymore, you know. You go over someone's house. Remember, we used to remember everybody had that friend that had the wacky videos, you know, the guy that had the video of like Serge Gainsbourg drunk interviewing Whitney. That's me. (laughs) And now it's like my everyone's mother has that, you know, they have the wacky viral video of the lady you know tripping over a dog and falling on her face or whatever that would have been the guy that you watched at three in the morning after you went to a show and you went back to his apartment and he pulled out his crazy video cassettes it would have been that guy now yeah. it's like 
everybody, you know. Everybody, yeah. yeah. That Good Morning America will show that. You know? right. <laughs> kind of awesome, actually. If Good Morning America wants to show the wine lady who's stepping on the wine and she slips and falls out and breaks her arm. You ever see yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Good Morning America wants to show that. <laughs> um, something I did, I wanted to make sure I, I ran past you. The two tribute records coming out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I... I so how did that, how'd those come to be? Was it just like, hey guys, we want to do this. Are you cool with it? It was literally just that. I, I figured. Yep. I'm probably getting this wrong, but there's one guy who lives in Estonia, a hotbed of rock and roll. And, <laughs> um, and maybe it is for all I know. I don't know. In Germany, uh, I think it was Germany and, and, and Estonia. Yeah. Almost within the same like two weeks. Yeah. I got an email, I think from the German guy first, but I don't remember. And they were both just like, hey, we're just to let you know, because they could do it if they want. They have that yeah. You know, it's very nice. Thanks. You know, but they both were like, yeah, we want to do these new Bon Turks um, tribute albums. And is that cool with you guys? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I'm like, you know, if you, and they both like they offered like they wanted to put the copyrights and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah. sure, you know, and um and uh, yeah, the artwork looked nice and looked like they were serious about it. And, and they are. I mean, it's the one I think from Estonia, that one I think is called No Heroes, No Leaders, No Artists, No Gods. Yes. That yeah. one's coming out on vinyl only. And the other one I'm not sure about. I think that's going to be CD also. I'm they're, sure it'll eventually be out on vinyl. Yeah, yeah. they're both, I, they're both out on vi- coming out on vital because uh, yeah. I pre-ordered them both. <laughs> so. Probably printed in Estonia too, I think. But um, <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's fun. I've heard a couple of tracks yeah. here. It's, fun it sounds good um i think they lean a little towards the definitely the faster kind of euro helicopters ends of things but um you know who knows i know that i recognized a pretty decent amount of the bands all considering most of them are pretty new yeah it feels great i mean it's amazing it is amazing to think that someone would do that and that there'd be another guy that would do it it's very nice and yeah it it was crazy that it happened so quickly because i was like oh wow turks tribute record coming on texting with my friends that are fans of yours and like you said, then another one pops up, and I was like, "What's going on?" Is, is there? Well, hopefully, those will have some distribution in the states too. I don't know how that's going to go, but but um, hopefully, you'll be able to get them and not have to spend you know forty bucks or something. But um, yeah, yeah, I ordered them both through Bandcamp, I believe. Oh, so, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to hear them. So. Yeah, I am too. And the tracks I've heard sound they sound good. And before I forget, there was actually. I can send you this information and you can mention it in some sort of digital miracle way. But there's a guy in Columbus, Ohio, who did another local regional New Bomb Turks tribute record. And it's actually pretty interesting because he picked a lot of new acts that aren't really, some of them aren't even like in the rock scene or whatever. And they did like loungy versions and stuff like that. It's actually pretty funny. It's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. And it's his goal. He does these like local bands covered by regional bands compilations. Sure. They're, I think it's digital only right now because he had it all set up to get printed right before all the COVID stuff hit okay. and then on money and everything else. But I'll, I'll try to find a link and send that to you too. But it's pretty interesting. Yeah. We did an online interview with that guy too. So that was, that was pretty fun. Um, before we let you go, there's a couple things that are killing me that I have to ask. <laughs> my personal <laughs> fan. <laughs> so you guys did a lot of covers over the years? Yeah. What is the one for you? What's the one that is the personal place in your heart, your favorite cover the Turks did? Hmm, that is really tough. Um, I, you know, as usual, I don't think I could pick just one. I really liked our version of Feel It by Motorcycle Boy. Because I, I just really like how it came out. I loved how it sounded. 
Um, the only reason we didn't put on the album is just because it was a cover and it was our second album and we wanted yep. to keep, you know, all originals on it for some reason. Um, and I really liked um, f- uh, Fuck It, that we did the song Fuck It by The Left. Which yeah. their, first, their first album has one of my favorite album titles of all time. Hell, it's the world. <laughs> one of my favorite album titles, but it's a great, great record if you can find it. Um, and the uh, reason I remember that one really well is because it was we were recording with Jim Diamond in Detroit. Happy birthday, Jim Diamond, who recorded Nightmare Scenario. Oh, happy great. birthday, Jim. Yeah. Um, and we were sort of at the end of our rope. We were ready to like, ugh, we've done enough recording. Everybody was really tired, ready to go. I think really ready to end the whole session. And we were just like, oh, fuck, we got to do, we got to do that song. And um, it, was, it was Fuck It, right? Yeah. No, wait, no, wait, it wasn't Fuck It. No, it wasn't Fuck It, it was Action. Action. Okay. Uh, yes, but an old New York, uh, old New York punk band did that. But anyway, it was Action. And I also liked Fuck It too. That was really great. But um, so we're doing Action. We're like, we got to do Action. And we tried to do it a couple of times. We kept fucking it up really bad. And Jim was kind of getting pissed. And he was like, fuck this, who cares? We don't have to do this. And I'm like, Dude, we almost have it. It's the easiest fucking thing. Let's just do it, you know? And I said, let's just go. Let's just do it. And as I'm saying, let's just do it, he's all pissed. And he just kicks into it really hard. And we blasted through it. And it was just great. You know, it was one of those feelings like, right when it was, I don't often say that about our band. Like, I'm like, sit there and go, we fucking nailed the man. It was fucking, <laughs> fucking clouds opened up. But, you know, it, it was just like, really hit it. And we all kind of like recognized, like, we were kind of almost like laughing. Like, really? We almost got in a fight over doing action? That's weird. <laughs> And it just came out like I was so happy with it. And I just love how it sounds and how it was mixed. And I do want to mention that too, that Jim Diamond did a, he originally, he recently, I don't know, a year or so ago, another COVID thing that we were able to, that kind of backburnered yes. and we got done sort of. Um, we, he found a dat, I think, of his original mixes of the album. Yeah. Besides one song. For some reason, one of the songs wasn't on there. But he found his original mixes and he sent them to us and we really liked them. So we did it as a Bandcamp thing to raise some money for some Black Lives Matter organizations in Columbus and Bandcamp. So it's on Bandcamp. It's still available. Um, it's still a benefit record. And um, really happy with that. And we're trying to find someone to do a vinyl cut of that at some point. Oh, wow. I'd like, to, I'd like if we could fit it, it would be kind of cool to put the B-sides from that record on there too. But I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll and probably- slightly different artwork or something like that but i don't know when that's going to happen but and and for people wondering it is it's nightmare scenario nightmare scenario sorry yeah nightmare yeah. Scenario. recorded that in 99 with jim diamond that was our first album with sam our new drummer our new drummer of the last 21 years <laughs> and um and it was just great we felt really re-energized and excited and happy and, and we just we had done you know, we had already done a few shows with with him, and it was just going really great. So yeah. we always say that and and Destroyer Boy are probably our favorite. Sure, sure. Um, I I do have a funny Sam story. Uh, a band I was in played with the Sun a few times. Oh, crazy! What band? Um, we were called the High Gears. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so first show, like we knew we were all big Turks fans. Like that was kind of the literally how the band started. We were like, let's start a band. That sounds like the fucking Turks, man. Let's, <laughs> we all love them. Let's fucking do that. So, um, your parents undoubtedly said, Great idea. <laughs> There's a career move. <laughs> this will sell millions. Um, so, we, uh, so we, you know, we got to the venue and all the bands were meeting each other and like we hit it off them pretty quick. And we we're like, Yeah, we're, we're big Turks fans. He's like, Oh, cool. That's cool. We're talking. And we started playing. And I know that he was like, Oh, oh. no, they're really. <laughs> 
<laughs> he didn't say tribute band. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I remember Sam was in South at South by Southwest when Livids played. And that was the first guy in the band that was able to see us just because, you know, we, we played down there. And, and he yeah. was, I think he was there with Divine Fits at the time. which you know, Okay. But he got in and he saw our show. And uh, he says it was just funny to watch it from that vantage point. You know, he said it's kind of funny. It's like, oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, I bet he's going to do the Mike down the pants thing. There he goes. He did it. Like, oh. <laughs> uh, you know, what's funny is that Beachland show, thinking back now, you're doing your stuff, the Mike down the pants, the chew it on the, the mic cord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I think I'm like, oh, my God, COVID existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, believe me, I thought that too a few times. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, not only that, but we had just done four shows down south at Nine Pound Hammer. Now, you can imagine half of the crowd at these shows was, you know, pretty southern, you know, southern. You know, luxury, yeah. you know. so, you know, got a lot of sweating dudes and, you know, hugging and, you know, <laughs> so, but it was, those shows are really, really fun. So, again, I'm really glad we got to be able to do those shows because. I love Nine Pound Hammer. I Oh, you know, yeah, of course. Yeah. God damn it. They were, they're a great band. <laughs> they're really funny to hang out with and we hadn't played with them. My God, I didn't even remember how long. And it was just fun to hang out with them and, and, you know, just, you know, it was just, it, the, the shows were set up in a good way. The drives weren't so terrible. It was just, yeah. and boy, it was just like, wow, that timing was perfect because we yeah. hadn't done yes. it a long time. And then, ugh, you know, it's kind of sustained me. Like it's only really in the last few weeks that I've been like, I got to get the fuck out and see a band one of these fucking days. <laughs> 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 They're driving me a little crazy, you know? Yeah. But, I, I mean, what sucks is like, that was like the door opening for our son of live music yeah. and then it was that so nice to hear yeah yeah i mean that's hard man like yeah. that's what i keep saying i feel worse for like okay yeah our european shows got canceled and that sucks but we've been to europe like 30 times or something yeah. right but i feel bad for i've got friends in town who had just started bands in like 2018 2019 and this was going to be their year to finally go do some shows out of town or put out a seven inch or whatever yeah. and like everything kind of got gummed up you know yeah. and they're trying to do like online shows with one guy's in the living room and you know it's like you know so i feel yeah. much worse for those people than like if the foo fighters couldn't do their 20th anniversary tour or whatever right yeah. right, right. Live. <laughs> yeah. Okay. that's yeah. one less gold-plated toilet they can buy i guess yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah i mean for him like what a great way to be entered in like it was this communal like that show was great by the way like the, the detroit one the Cleveland one. Oh, the Cleveland one. Yeah, yeah. That was really fun. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. it was. Like, you guys had local openers that were fucking great. And then, like, there was just, it felt communal. It felt like a good punk rock show. And that's one of our favorite clubs in the whole world, honestly. Yeah. From the people being nice, easy load in, really, like, cool, like, basement area you can go to to get yep. away from it if you want. You know, like, they always, they're always nice about just everything, the food and everything. It's just always easy. They're genuine fans. Yes. Um, yeah, I think they even have a couple framed photos of me that Keith Marlowe took. A great photographer, Keith Marlowe, if you want to look him up. Um, I believe his site is called Hits in the Pits, but Keith Marlowe, okay. great photographer. And they've got some of his pictures up on the wall there now. And it's just, you know, that and the Vera Club in Groningen, Holland is one of the ones I was telling you earlier about. Yeah. These lot places that become amazing. It's just an incredible club but anyway that's a whole other story for another day um so eric this has been like this has been great you <laughs> we <laughs> like talk a lot and a little too much sometimes <laughs> i uh i was uh i was i kept joking that like when Ke when mark Marin had keith richards on oh yeah 
this is me. This is you're my Keith Richards. <laughs> I've been this fuck like a little bit ago. They were her. She and my son were both like, you need to fucking calm down, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for real. Well, speaking of Mark Marin, like I heard that he mentioned the New Bomb Turks on his show one time. So someone told me that and I never caught it. Apparently he knows our band, but I've never, I, I don't really, you know, I don't have his personal email or something, you know, like I've tried through some other avenues to get in touch with him just to like send him a record or something like that. Right. I was going to, I was hoping I could maybe get a blurb for my book from him, but I just, I don't know how to get in touch with a guy. You're not sure there's oh. Twitter or something. I don't know, but, but um, yeah, he's hilarious. But uh, well, thanks. I'm, I, I'm glad I'm your Keith Richards. I'm not going to snort my dad's ashes. So just to get that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's your choice, man. I <laughs> Was it his dad's ashes? Was that the one that Keith Richards supposedly started? Or was his his uncle's or something like that? It was it was something. It was dad or uncle or something. It was the mm-hmm. most like Keith Richards sounding shit on the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also was... the most Gigi Allen sounding shit yeah. on the planet at the same time. So <laughs> um but... I'd much rather be your Keith Richards than your Gigi Allen. I'd yeah. much prefer you be my yeah. Keith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh th- one thing I do want to ask, who is who is the weirdest famous person you guys have discovered you're like wait they like us have you come across that ever well i know i made a joke about drew barrymore before but i heard that she somebody told me she showed up at a show in la once whether she's a fan or whether that was true i don't know i'd like to think it was true because that was you know charlie's angels era uh, drew oh barrymore. yeah sure wow. yeah you know i don't know mark maron's when i heard that oh what is the actor oh, God, i can't believe i'm forgetting this name the guy that that was in the lord of the rings trilogy the main character that's uh, elijah wood elijah yeah. wood Elijah Wood, supposedly a friend worked at some office that worked with Elijah Wood and she overheard him and then talk, mentioned us and then talked to him about, it, and he likes the new Bomb Turks, I guess. He also, and this is weird, he owned a script that was a bio picture about Iggy Pop and he yes. was going to play Iggy Pop, which I think sounds really bad, but, but he was a really big fan and apparently that script has been sold or it's not going to happen or something like that. Okay. Okay. But, um, seems like a nice guy. Maybe he would have been great as his yeah. He he, but, li- he likes rock and roll a lot. I know he's a big proponent yeah, yeah. of punk rock. Well, yeah. I've heard that he's a fan. I don't know how big of a fan, but um, you know. So those are a couple just off the top of my head. And you know, cool. of course, Bill Clinton, uh, you know, Obama, all the presidents. Of course, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> They're all big fans. You're big on the on the uh, post presidential circuit. Yeah, they're... exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> going to do that circuit. We're going to play Camp David next week. Um, we uh, we we did at one time. When uh, with when Bill was still in the band, all four New Bomb Turks had met Bill Clinton at four different times. That's weird. I'm not going to give you every one of those stories, but I can. Yeah. You can I'm not lying. All four of us. I'll tell mine really quick as I was working. Yeah. At the I would know. He was. It was the first time he was running for president. He was visiting the student union, and okay. it, it was up on a hill right across the street from a coffee shop I worked at. Yeah. And. Remember, Bill Clinton had was somewhat famous for doing the old, like, off the cuff, like, walking away from the, social, the security guys and, like, shaking someone's hand. Well, he did that. He walked down this grass, and I was standing outside of work, just hanging out. And I'm like, that's Bill Clinton. I'm going to go talk to him. So I just walked across the street, and they let me walk right the fuck up to him. Holy shit. Hi. I go, good luck, man. I hope, I hope you win. Or, you know, he's like, oh, thanks. You know, well, that was a terrible impersonation. But you can post that, man. The frog. Kermit the Frog ran for president. I wish. And um, and so I I said hi to Bill Clinton, and then the other guys met him in various different. That's, that's wild. Weird. What a weird. None that involved a blue dress. I just should probably point that out. <laughs> okay. Well. All right. I mean, if it did, you know, twenty twenty one. We'll be hearing from my wife. <laughs> um, 
Eric, th this was great, dude. I, we <laughs> Thanks, yeah, love having you on. Um, when when the book comes out, let you know anything yeah, you want to come back on promote. Let's do it again. Yes, yes. Send send your address. Um, not everybody listening. Just just you. Just me. <laughs> and I will send you guys a copy. And it should come out in June. It's just we never learn expanded edition. Awesome. Um, like I said, like forty new pictures, two new chapters added. Um, other new little things. We're gonna. I think we're gonna have the download code thing in it again. Okay. I'm, I'm hoping to find someone to maybe do a vinyl version of that too. I don't know, but um, okay, great. Keep my the Nightmare Scenario thing and the Libids records out there. Yes. And, you know, fuck you, COVID. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, uh, Eric, where can people find you if they want to follow your work? Uh, Queens, New York. I really don't want to give an address. <laughs> um, well, I, have, I have my Tumblr page, my uh, We Never Learn Tumblr page. You can find, I, I tend to repost everything there. I've mainly been writing for Please Kill Me Online. Excuse okay. me, Please Kill Me Online. Yeah. Mainly been writing for them. Um, I wrote, I was writing for a while for um, Rock and Roll Globe. So I've got a bunch of things on there. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, you can, you know, that's basically where it is now. I might be, there's another book project that I'm, I don't really want to talk about, but I'm hopefully be working on soon. Okay. You know, so it does not involve Bill Clinton, but you know. So. <laughs> they can't all be winners, you know? That would be a great blurb, huh? <laughs> yeah, <it would. laughs> get that Bill Clinton blurb. <laughs> Look good on the back of the jacket. <laughs> Eric really knows his women, Bill Clinton. No. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Well, Eric, this was awesome, man. We love having you on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good luck with everything, and I'm glad your son is looks like he's going to be and is a cool kid. That's cool. He's so, all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. He's still a teenager; he has his moments. That's cool. Well, as long as he doesn't turn into one of those completely different, right? You know, it's like yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, dude. When when the book comes out, come back on. We can, okay. we can promote thanks. it, and we'll talk thanks. some more. All right. Stay safe and stay positive, everybody. Things will get better. I hope. All right. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> See you later. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Bye. <laughs>